Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about themes, anxiety themes, OCD themes, and why they're important, and also why they're not important, (laughs) just to make things super confusing. But everyone has a different view on these things. I don't know why. This is actually kind of a controversial topic, believe it or not, in the OCD community. And I want to talk to you about why I feel like themes are helpful, but with the caveat of why they're not. Because like everything else in this world, it's not black and white, right? So there's a little bit of gray, and I want to go into what that gray is, how as parents we can use themes in a very productive way, the pitfalls that we have to be very careful about, and how to find themes. So before I dive in, I do want to give a huge thank you. This podcast episode is sponsored by NoCD, and NoCD provides online OCD therapy in the U.S., U.K., Australia, and somebody told me that it's even in some of the provinces of Canada now. I did not know that. Uh, to schedule your free 15-minute consultation to see if NoCD is the right fit for you and your child, definitely recommend going to treatmyocd.com, and I will leave a link in the show notes as well. So let's talk about the good, the bad, the ugly around anxiety and OCD themes. So let me just take a big snapshot picture. And if you're like, what is she even talking about? OCD comes, I always joke that OCD has 31 flavors like Baskin Robbins. I mean, it doesn't literally have 31 themes. There can be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of anxiety and OCD themes. There are some that are like much more common and prevalent than others. I think with anxiety, This gets confusing for some parents who aren't really in the know about anxiety because they'll be confused. They'll say, you know, my child, you know, will jump off, you know, huge rocks into a river or they'll go water jet skiing and they'll do like all these like quote unquote kind of daring things. But, you know, the therapist says they have anxiety. Well, that, that doesn't seem like an anxious kid. Or they might say, you know, my child isn't anxious. They're not afraid of the dark. They're not afraid of anything, but they won't go to school because they're afraid of throwing up. And what I tell parents is that anxiety has themes. And so you're not anxious about everything. And in fact, it's really interesting. Um, I have my sister visiting here, helping me out with the kids. We were talking about just the genetics and (laughs) all the anxiety and OCD themes in our family, really on both sides. And she was saying, It's funny because like a lot of people in my family have health anxiety and I was trying to talk to her and my daughter, my oldest, Miss 17, about health anxiety and like a different way to look at it and how, you know, to change their perspective on things. And then I said, the ironic thing is I can talk to you about health anxiety because I don't have that theme. And so that doesn't make me anxious. You know, if I feel a lump or there's something wrong with my body, I just take care of it and I deal with it. It's not my theme, but if you swallowed wrong and you were coughing in front of me, I would freak out because, which actually did happen yesterday, she swallowed wrong. And I'm like, are you okay? You okay? Uh, because choking is one of my themes. Or if you told me to do something that triggered my social anxiety, that would be my theme where somebody else might not be afraid of that. So it's interesting how anxiety, even though it's highly genetic and OCD is highly genetic, it does still show up differently 
in different members of the family. And that doesn't mean that you just, well, I'll just stop right there. I'll get into like the caveats in a second. So there are anxiety themes and there's also OCD themes. And I feel like this becomes more, I don't know, quote unquote controversial when we're talking about OCD because OCD has a very tight knit community and very strong beliefs about OCD. A lot of thoughts are OCD is OCD. We shouldn't be talking about themes and the OCD community. And when I say community, I'm not talking about providers, but I'm talking about in general have named different themes. And so you don't see anxiety having names as much around themes. Like there's not like a name for a child who's afraid of the dark versus a name for a child who is afraid of bugs. I mean, yes, technically I could probably look up and there's like, you know, arachnophobia or like there's a blah, blah, blah phobia, but people really don't identify too much with that. They just say, I'm afraid of the dark or I'm afraid of blah, blah, blah. I mean, there's a metaphobia, which is a fear of throw up. So that does have a name, but with OCD, there are very distinct categories. And I think that's because it shows up in such vastly different ways that someone who has moral OCD has a really hard time relating and connecting to someone who has symmetry OCD because they feel very different. Someone who has moral OCD is worried about being a bad person or about doing something bad or having done something bad or something that's not aligned with their moral compass. And someone with symmetry OCD is just worried about, you know, feeling uncomfortable and sitting with the discomfort of something that's imbalanced. So they might have to do something on the left and then the right. So objectively, those two look incredibly different, but they're still both OCD. So we have a lot of names in the OCD world, you know, moral OCD or scrupulosity OCD, which is similar, same thing. Symmetry OCD. So, and, and some of the names are so specific, so narrow that I feel like they really fit under a larger umbrella of themes. You can have contamination OCD, but that doesn't really tell me much about what your theme is. Like, what do you feel is contaminated? So (laughs) having said that, a lot of people say, Hey, OCD is OCD. Stop getting stuck on this. And they have a good point. And I'll explain why in a minute. And the same goes for anxiety. That's why I'm talking about anxiety and OCD. This is more of an issue in the OCD world, but I also want to talk about why it's helpful. So you're going to hear a lot of names. You're going to hear people saying, oh, my daughter has moral OCD, or my daughter has contamination OCD, or we're dealing with POCD or HOCD. And the positive aspect of that, and well, actually, I'm going to spend the bulk of this podcast talking about the benefits, but I'll just say right now that the positive aspect of that is belonging, that you can tell me you have HOCD or POCD or ROCD. You know, and I'm not going to go into all of these because it's a moot point and I'll explain why in a minute, but that links me to you. And now I know we're speaking something similar. We're speaking the same language where I can Google it and I can find information very specific on that, which is helpful. Okay. So I want to talk about why it's not good. The caveats before I spend a lot of time talking about the benefits, because like everything else, like I said, there's good and bad and there's gray and we shouldn't see things in a yes or a no box or this box or that box or it's black or it's white. There, there are good and bad in everything. So why this is not helpful. I'll just, I'll preface this with why we have to be very careful. All too often I see parents getting stuck on their themes and so they have blinders on. And this really, really frustrates me because they will say to me, I want to take your OCD course online but I only want to learn about contamination. 
will it teach me about contamination? Or the much more common one that I get literally probably on a daily basis, honestly, is moral OCD. I only want to know about moral OCD. Does your course cover moral OCD? I just want to know about moral OCD. Unfortunately, I do have a more advanced mini course on moral OCD because so many parents have a hard time applying what I teach them in just my OCD class to moral OCD, although they shouldn't because it's, we'll talk about it. The framework is always the same, but they want more, they want more ideas because it's more abstract. So they want exposure ideas for moral OCD. So I did create a mini class and I wrote on the top of that class, this is a more advanced class. This is a deeper dive. Please take the main OCD class first. And what I find often, and I can't control people, right? You have free will is that people will say, my kid has moral OCD. So I'm just going to take that class. Well, that class doesn't teach you how to do ERP. It's an advanced class. And so it's a good example of how people get into the slippery slope of only looking for the information that is relevant to their child's current theme. That's dangerous because you're going to be blindsided by anxiety and OCD when you only focus on one theme and your eyes are only on that theme. So your eye is on the ball, but you don't realize that this is not a one ball game. There are going to be other balls being thrown in there. And if you're just focusing on that one ball, you're going to get hit upside the head because you're not opening your eyes to the bigger picture. (laughs) Does that analogy make sense? It's weird, but it does. Okay. So getting stuck on themes is dangerous because it's not like, um, I'm trying to think of another example. I always like try to say like cancer, but I feel like cancer can, can morph and evolve too. So I think that's a bad example. I just wish I could come up with another example of only focusing on one theme. You know, I guess I could say it would be like, you know, if my child had a heart issue and because they have a heart issue, I don't take them to the general doctor. I don't get a physical, we only focus on their heart. So we're not looking at anything else. So weird things start happening to their arm. We ignore that because we're only focusing on the heart. We don't do that. We look at the whole body still, right? Even if we're having a problem with one area, we're still keeping an eye on the whole body. And that's probably the best analogy I can use is we want to keep our eye on the whole OCD or anxiety while we're focusing on the theme. So the framework for how you approach anxiety or the framework for how you approach OCD, and I do feel like those are two different frameworks for different reasons, and I'm not going to get into that today. But if you want to learn more about that, I do have a podcast episode, episode 104, where I talk about the difference between anxiety and OCD. So if you're like, wait, 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 what's the difference and why does it matter? After this, you can listen to episode 104. I also did a YouTube video on it, the difference between child anxiety and OCD. So if you like YouTube better, for some reason, and you're on my podcast, you can go. Unfortunately, that's episode 59, but on YouTube, there is no way to really have those episodes succinctly organized or I haven't really done it. Um, so you'll just have to go to the search bar on my YouTube channel. And if you're, if you don't know where, where my YouTube channel is, there's always links in the show notes, but you can always just go to YouTube and type in Natasha Daniels and you'll, my channel will pop up. But if you type in the difference between child anxiety and OCD, that will pop up that YouTube video. So hopefully that is helpful for you, but I see the frameworks differently for anxiety or OCD, but all anxiety has a framework of how I'm going to approach it. It's very, very similar to OCD. There are some nuances that are different and how I approach OCD is going to be the same no matter what. I mean, OCD is about having an intrusive thought, feeling, or image, or song, something that is stuck in my brain and is causing a lot of stress or discomfort. And I have the need to do a compulsion, which can be 
to do or avoid something to get some brief relief. Unfortunately, the more I do or avoid by doing that compulsion, the more intrusive thoughts or feelings I get. And so, yes, that will look different. I might have an intrusive feeling, not fear, that I may not breathe, you know, that I might stop breathing, or I might be really hyper-focused on my bladder, or I might be really hyper-focused on my blinking. And so there's no fear. The fear is just discomfort. I'm afraid that I won't be able to tolerate the discomfort. And so I might pay attention to my blinking and I might be really hyper-focused, or I might have an intrusive thought that says, I'm going to be a bad person. And so every time I have this bad thought that makes me feel like a bad person, I have to tell my mom about it. And then my mom says, you're okay, don't worry about it. And then that's my compulsion and I feel better. So yes, those look drastically different to completely different things, right? But they both have an intrusive thought or feeling and they both have a compulsion. One has to, you know, I don't remember what I said about sensory motor OCD, <laughs> but they both have compulsions, right? The moral OCD, like they're confessing and that's not, that's not the only compulsion. Kids can have, adults can have, anyone with OCD can have whatever compulsion their OCD wants to give them. It's just something that they have to do or avoid. And people miss the avoid. And they also miss the reassurance and the confessing that where the parents complete the OCD loop, they miss that. But as long as I have to do something or avoid something to get some brief relief from an intrusive thought or feeling that's OCD. And so it doesn't matter treatment wise or approach wise at home, what I'm going to put in the A box and the B box Because no matter what that framework will be the same, I'm going to learn how to sit in discomfort. I'm going to learn how to do exposures where I'm slowly moving towards the thing that OCD doesn't want me to do. I might learn how to call it out, delay it, ignore it. The framework of what I teach with OCD is literally the same thing, no matter what theme. And I think that's what really upsets a lot of people in the OCD community, especially OCD providers is it doesn't matter. We're going to do the same thing no matter what. So don't get so hung up on your themes. Yes, that is very true. And same thing with anxiety. You're going to take steps to move towards your fears. You're going to reframe your thinking. That's different than OCD, right? And that's where the frameworks to me look different because I'm going to do a little bit more of reframing, but the framework for all anxiety themes is going to be the same. So that's the problem with getting stuck on themes. And The good stuff, let's dive into that, are really good. They're really good stuff. So you need to do both, right? You need to open up your blinders, but understanding themes, and I'll explain why I do like them. One, I had already mentioned, I do feel like it is a sense of belonging. And so there are a lot of themes that are embarrassing, that are full of guilt. And when there's a name for it, you know, it helps the community of people who have that issue come together it helps normalize it. It helps open conversations. So having a name for it definitely helps. Does it mean that that's all they have? You know, if I have HOCD, that's all I have. No, you probably have many themes or you probably will have many themes, but it's, it can bring some unity, some validation. I think the frustration sometimes I have is somebody left my AT parenting community and they said, well, you know, we left because my daughter has a POCD your resources aren't for that. And so we need to find other resources. And, and I hear that a lot with other themes too. So POCD, like pedophile OCD um, or harm OCD, those are much more stressful themes for a lot of parents because they're very taboo. But, you know, to me, it's all under the umbrella of like moral OCD. I feel like I'm gonna be a bad person and this is how it's showing up. 
It doesn't matter. We can split hairs. But the framework is exactly the same. So if you're leaving resources, solid OCD resources, because you're not hearing your theme mentioned, that's a concern. That's blinders, right? Because the OCD community and the OCD resources are are finite. There's a small amount of them. They're growing, thank goodness. But it's still a very small sampling of resources compared to bigger topics and bigger mental health issues, which is a shame. I'm not going to go on that soapbox. So when you're isolating yourself and saying, I just need to, if they're not talking about my child's theme, then I'm not going to look at those resources. That's a very dangerous thing because today you might be dealing with POCD and then next week you're dealing with harm OCD and the next time you're dealing with contamination around that. It's all the same thing, intrusive thought or feeling, and then a need to avoid or do a compulsion to get some relief. It's all the same thing. So, well, then Natasha, you're going on for 18 minutes about why it's not a good thing. What are the benefits? Well, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) You don't want to miss stuff, right? So for starters, if you are not educated on the many different ways that anxiety or OCD can show up, you very likely will miss stuff. I mean, I've missed stuff with my own kids and I do know all the themes. So, you know, listening to this podcast and even when it's not a topic that relates to your child, that can help because you're just by osmosis, you're picking up this knowledge of what themes there are. Uh, People in the AT parenting community, you know, when they listen to other people posting questions and stuff, they are passively getting information about all the different types of themes that their child can have. And a lot of times, I mean, a lot of times parents will say, oh my gosh, my child's now doing this. And I would never have thought that's OCD. But because I know that other parent talked about it in here, I was able to recognize that that's OCD. So if you don't know themes, you're going to miss OCD. And if you miss OCD, you can't apply the framework to help your child. And that's the problem. Same thing with anxiety. If I don't know that separation anxiety can show up in older kids and that actually clinical separation anxiety, the onset of clinical separation anxiety is actually much older, like 12 to 14, 10 to 14, then I'm not going to be looking for that when my child is all of a sudden afraid to go to soccer practice and they are texting me a million times wondering if I'm okay or what I'm doing. I'm not going to know what that is because I'm not educated on clinical separation anxiety. So, you know, that's why in my classes, my online classes, I go in detail for both of them, my how to teach kids to crush anxiety class and my how to teach kids to crush OCD class. The first part of the class, and I preface it and I say, do not skip this because <laughs> I know you're going to want to skip this, is going over all the common themes. It can never be exhaustive because anxiety and OCD are creative and there's always going to be something that maybe I've never heard of before. But there are some very big common ones. And I go over those in my anxiety course. I go over those in the OCD course because, you know, for five minutes to just say, hey, this is other OCD themes, bump, 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 bump. I mean, I can save you a lot of time, years really, of an OCD theme growing like a weed and you not recognizing it and thinking you're making progress with this other theme. Meanwhile, your child is doing all these compulsions that you're not aware of because you missed the ball. You did not realize that that was a theme. So a little bit of knowledge, it doesn't have to be like you have to go to graduate school and, you know, get your PhD in psychology to educate yourself, whether passively through podcasts, joining a Facebook group, or actively taking my online course and really fully understanding in less than three hours, everything that could possibly pop up 
And even if it's not your child's specific theme, you'll get the gist and you'll be able to spot OCD a mile away because you'll get the framework of how it works. So that's a big benefit, not to miss things. The other thing and the main thing that I really want to go into is I feel like understanding the core fear or core discomfort helps me develop better exposures. So in the framework that I teach and that most anxiety and OCD therapists teach, if they have a cognitive behavioral therapy approach and an ERP approach, ERP is exposure with response prevention, which is like a subset of CBT. So, because if you're doing CBT with a child with OCD, but not ERP, I know we're talking about a lot of acronyms, that can actually make the OCD worse. So you're not looking just for a CBT therapist. That's great for anxiety, but for OCD, we have to go even deeper. We have to find an ERP therapist. That's the gold standard approach for OCD. If I'm going to sit there and process and talk about the child's OCD, I'm actually basically doing compulsions with them for the entire therapy session, which is a (laughs) no-no. It's a no-no. So the end result is that we're going to want people to do exposures or, you know, I call them challenges when I'm talking about anxiety, you know, small steps towards that discomfort or small steps towards that fear. And notice that I'm saying fear or discomfort interchangeably because people get hung up on that too. They say, I don't know what the core fear is. You know, my child has to line things up and if something's out of place, they have to put it back, but they don't think anything bad's going to happen. So I don't think it's OCD. And it's like, ah, you're missing a theme. You know, there is symmetry OCD and not that it has to fit into a nicely named box, but a lot of times it does, but it doesn't have to. But if you move it, can your child tolerate that distress? No, I have to, they have to put it right back and they don't want anyone to touch it. Or I notice that they have to even out the pillows before they go to bed, or they have to even this out before they go to bed. Well, the core fear is not a core fear. It's a fear of discomfort. And so when we don't understand those things, we miss stuff. And when we miss stuff, we don't provide really good exposures. That's to me at the crux of understanding my child's themes is being able to develop really well-crafted exposures, exposing them to their core fear or their core discomfort in small increments to build up their tolerance for discomfort. That's the main goal, no matter what framework for anxiety, framework for OCD, that's the main goal. How can I teach you how to tolerate and sit in discomfort without avoiding for anxiety or doing a compulsion? And avoidance can be a compulsion when we're talking about OCD. So let me give you some examples so you kind of get the gist of what I'm talking about. Let's take a metaphobia, the fear of throw up. So I like that one because one, it can be people, some people categorize that as anxiety. Some people categorize that as OCD. And I really see, of course, the muddy middle in it where I feel like if they're doing a lot of compulsions, it can be OCD. If they're just afraid to throw up and they're just avoiding, I would maybe just call that anxiety. It can morph and we don't have to get so rigid in our boxes for anxiety or OCD either when it comes to emetophobia, because the way we're going to treat emetophobia is going to be the same pretty much no matter what. And so we can really waste our energy splitting hairs on some of these things. So let's say I have a person who's afraid of throwing up. I want to dig deeper. I want to know what their core fear is. Because if I know their core fear, so their theme is throwing the fear of throwing up, but I still want to go down that rabbit hole and I want to know a little bit more because are they afraid of embarrassment? So I'll give you a couple of different core fears that I see with metaphobia. My kids, my daughter has metaphobia and it's the fear of embarrassment. I think nobody will want to be my friend. It's embarrassing. It's gross. And so it's going to upset people. 
Normally, when you have that core fear, you also have some social anxiety, which she does. So they like to hang out together. Now I could talk to someone else and their core fear is pain. It's just, it's going to be so uncomfortable. I can't tolerate discomfort. So I'm really afraid of that. Somebody else might be, you know, I'm really afraid I'm going to choke. And so I'm afraid I'm going to choke on my throw up. And somebody else might, it might mean that I have a disease. And if I have a disease, it might mean I'm going to die. So we're looking at a lot of different themes. So my exposure for my daughter was the basic throwing up exposures, which is showing, and I know it's going to sound horrible if you don't know what ERP is and how we do it, but, you know, really exposing her to images and videos down the road. I mean, I start off with like cartoons and like just emojis and we build up depending on where they're at. But I'm also going to tap into her fear of embarrassment, you know, her fear of losing control in front of other people. And so my exposures might be, I have shirts that I used to use in my practice that say like, oh, all the places I will throw up. That's really embarrassing if you have emetophobia and your number one fear is having people alienate you. And so, I mean, I had a teenage boy who had his fear and I had him go and tell his friends, you know, I feel really sick. I'm going to go to the nurse because I feel like I'm going to throw up. Now, I wouldn't do that exposure for someone whose core fear isn't related to embarrassment because that person would be like, "Uh, okay, I'll tell my friends I'm going to throw up. Like, that's not going to be like a very high number on my stress scale because maybe they're just afraid they're going to choke or maybe they're afraid of the pain that's going to happen. So I could be wasting time doing like less effective exposures where I'm really missing the mark because I don't fully understand their theme. So that's an example. I have a couple more. I just want to give you just to give you a flavor. Let's take the kid who is afraid of doorknobs. So that's a common one, right? You see a lot of people with OCD opening doorknobs with their elbows. So you might say, okay, well, that's a no brainer. Like they're afraid of germs. They can't open doorknobs. Well, I would really want to know what their theme is because it could be for lots of different reasons. So I could have a kid. I'll give you a couple examples. I can have someone who has that classic, I'm afraid of germs. So I don't want to touch doorknobs because doorknobs have germs. And so I'm going to open them with my elbows. So I have a germ theme. I'm not going to get too hung up on like the, the layman's titles for these things, you know, because you can say contamination OCD. And that still to me doesn't say anything about what your core fear or core theme is. Yeah. Okay. Things are contaminated to you. They can be contaminated. If you have moral OCD and you have a bad thought, something's contaminated. It could be that they're contaminated because you're afraid of diseases. It helps me know how your OCD is showing up, right? So I understand how it's going to present itself as far as what your compulsions are going to be when we're talking about contamination, but it still doesn't tell me much about your core fear or core theme. So somebody who doesn't want to touch doorknobs could be worried about harming other people. So they can have a harm OCD element. And so I don't want to touch the doorknobs, not because I'm worried about getting me sick, but I don't want to touch the doorknobs because I'm worried about getting other people sick. So yes, on the surface, we're going to be doing exposures where they're going to be touching the doorknobs eventually, right? So we're doing the same things in the framework that we're, we're getting them to touch the doorknobs. But because I know what the core fear is, I'm going to sprinkle some more things in there. So that person who's worried that they're going to harm other people by spreading their germs, I might have them, you know, say in their head when they're touching the doorknobs, like, oh my, I'm going to kill my mom with my germs or yep, there goes another family member. So I might add another layer to her exposure because of her core fear. Or if I'm doing it with her, I might, 
as long as we agreed on it, I might say things to her during her exposures like, oh gosh, you're really getting your germs everywhere, right? And so I'm going to be able to augment these exposures in a much more effective way because I know their core fear or core discomfort. And so I can use that to make more effective exposures. If they're afraid of getting sick and they're touching a doorknob and I say to them, oh my gosh, you're getting your mom sick. She's going to be so upset with you. That's not going to really impact their stress level. It's going to be odd. It's, it's like a displaced comment because it's not relevant to their core fear. So let me use one more example that is just pure anxiety related so that you can see how this works for anxiety as well. Separation anxiety. I find not always, but often that the child is more concerned about the parent safety. So is my mom okay? Is she getting hurt? Is she alive? Is she dead? Or their own safety. Now, not always, sometimes it's equally both, but more often than not, I have found that one is much bigger than the other. I might be worried about my mom's safety. Is she okay? But I might be worried about my safety. I'm not safe. If I go to soccer practice and you're not with me, something bad can happen to me and I may not be able to handle it. I'm worried about my safety. That's my, that's my theme. Or when you go to Starbucks or I go to school, I don't know what you're doing. I can't see you. So what if somebody you know, kidnaps you in the parking lot? Or what if you get run over by a car? What if you get in a car accident? Now those do intermingle. And so you might have a child who has both of those things, but one is stronger than the other. You might have a child that has them equally, but a lot of times I see one stronger than the other. So if I was to do an exposure where I had a child stay home and the parent went out to Starbucks, I don't know why I'm saying Starbucks, I guess I'm thirsty. They went out for like an hour The child who's worried about their safety may be okay because it's not triggering their core fear. As long as I'm home and my dad is here or my mom's partner or, you know, a dependable babysitter, I feel safe. And so I'm not being triggered. And so you might say, I can't find a good exposure because when I go out, she seems fine. But when she goes to school, she freaks out. I don't get it. Well, it's because you're not attacking the core fear. The core fear is in this example, the core fear might be, I'm not safe. And so if you put me in a situation where I don't feel like I have a go-to person, whether it's my mom or a replacement of my mom, you know, like my best friend's mom or a teacher that's very nurturing, then I can't handle it. Versus if I had, trying to think of another example, if I had the same girl and her theme was, the fear of her mom, something bad happening to her mom, she could stay home and her mom could go to Starbucks and not respond to her texts. And that would be very triggering for that one because that child has a fear of something's bad happening to my mom. And so staying home would still be a very effective exposure. So now both kids with both themes could do exposures where they go to school because they're away from their mom. So they might be in a place where they don't feel safe. And then two, they don't know where their mom is. So that might be effective for either child or a child who has both themes. And I'm not going to dive into exposures and like a better quality exposure. I'm just trying to give you a snapshot of like why I feel like finding the core fear or core discomfort or their theme can be used as a tool. It can also be used as a barrier if you get stuck, like I just talked about in the very beginning of this episode. So like anything that can be used for good, it can be used for bad if you don't use it appropriately. So I hope that makes sense. Lastly, I just want to say, how do you find new themes? That's not the purpose of this episode, but there's nothing more annoying than saying to someone the entire episode, 
You have to know their core fear or core theme and then not showing you how to do that. (laughs) That's kind of annoying. And I'm not one to want to annoy you. So I do have an entire episode on that. That is a, a very big topic by itself. And so I would recommend going back and listening to episode 51. I talk about how to find core fears, core themes, and that could be really helpful. I also have a free PDF that is called 15 Common But Often Missed OCD Themes in Children and Teens. And so I go through the ones that most parents miss. So if you want like a very cliff note version, I say cliff note and I feel like I'm like 80 years old. I don't think people even know what that means anymore. But for those of you that do, I appreciate you. So that's a Cliff Notes version. Uh, I wish I knew like a hipper, newer term for that. <laughs> if you know one, let me know. And then I can sound a little bit more hip. But it's it's the shortcut version of just like listing out these 15 themes that you should know. Take you five minutes to read this PDF because it's very simple. And then boom, you've uploaded some information that you didn't have before. And you should be better off than you were five minutes ago. So if you want that PDF, you can text the word OCD PDF to the number 44222, and I will uh, shoot you a link and you can check that out. I think that'll be helpful. So I hope that you found this episode helpful. I actually do, before I go, wanted to answer a mini coaching question that I had. I have stopped the mini coaching Patreon page just because I'm trying to like simplify my life um, after my husband died. It's like, Let's see if she can ever go any episode without mentioning that. (laughs) That's like my social anxiety. I'm like, I must think like everybody's like every episode, she's got to mention that on some level. I feel like I do. So you can pay attention and be like, yep, she mentioned it again. Thought she wasn't, but she did. She mentioned it again. I'm consumed with that right now. So you can understand. So I did stop my, I had a Patreon page where I was doing mini coaching and you can like submit questions. And to be honest, I didn't really get a lot of people doing it. It You know, I thought it was pretty cool. It was like $5 a month and you can submit questions and I would answer them on the podcast, but you know, some things work and some things don't. And so I wanted to get rid of it just because I want to like streamline my life. I'm no longer in my private practice. I'm really only focusing on my podcast, my YouTube channel, and my AT parenting community, the paid membership. Um, and so that, that really makes my life a lot easier. I can really give my all in those areas. So I did ask the people that are doing that for questions since I'm wrapping up and I did get one. So I want to answer it here. And thank you for being patient for the person who's waiting for this answer. Uh, She wrote, my son was diagnosed with OCD in January. We started with no CD and it has been life-changing. My son, who's 13, did ERP and worked so hard. He's great and he improved dramatically. And we all have our lives back and I'm so grateful. I also have OCD. And although my symptoms are very well managed, one thing my son and I both struggle with is skin picking, specifically the skin around our nails. My son bites his skin and his nails. And because my son will go, will be going back to school in person in July, I want to work on this with him because he can't have his hands in his mouth. Um, In a pandemic, he was sick all the time in elementary school because of the biting. Any suggestions? And I do want to say that that's a very common comorbid condition. You know, that BFRBs, body-focused repetitive behaviors, that's the category that it goes under, are very common. They're not caused by anxiety or OCD. They are a comorbid condition. And so they like to hang out together. Sometimes I think Yeah, I mean, when we're more stressed, we're more likely to pick or pull or bite, but they are separate conditions. I would recommend going to bfrb.org. That is um, the TLC Foundation for Body-Focused Repetitive Behaviors website. Very good. They have tons of resources, so I would definitely check that out. The other one that I really like for picking 
is pickingme.org. So pickingme, like picking, uh, .org. They have tons of information because BFRBs are not my thing. I'm not a specialist in that, but it is something that is often brought up because it is a comorbid condition. And those are my favorite two resources. The other thing I would say is, let me see how old your son is. 13. This might be a little babyish for him, but I really like this book. And so it might still be really helpful. When Bad Habits Take Hold by Don Hebner. That has really helped my daughter. So um, my oldest has trichotillomania, so like hair pulling some of the time. And my youngest has a picking issue. Um, I would say picking disorder. And it was really bad in kindergarten. And the book, When Bad Habits Take Hold, was beautiful because it really walks you through how to build skills in a very simplistic way. So I would definitely check that out. And I know in the book, like they talk about blockers and stuff. And so you have to get their buy-in. You can't do these things for them. So those resources, I would tell you, just go check those out and it will give you a ton more information. We also use the Keen bracelet. If you are familiar with Habit Aware, it's Habit, H-A-B-I-T, Aware. Let me just make sure. Yeah, habitaware.com. And they make bracelets that actually are like engineered to like vibrate and notify you, kind of like bring your awareness to your picking or pulling behavior. And so we did get her a bracelet and that did really help too. So there are some resources for that. I think um, that would be a great place to start. And I appreciate you submitting your question. And I really apologize. It took me so long to get back to you. So if you are enjoying my podcast, please don't forget to hit a star on iTunes or wherever you consume your podcast. If you have a few extra seconds and you can leave a review, you know, I love that. I always like to read one of them. I'm trying to pull them up now. You know, I always like to show my gratitude. And so let me see what we have here. And I want to say thank you to Julie in Minnesota. And she wrote, this excellent podcast teaches you to recognize OCD and anxiety in kids and teens and learn how to best support them. Right now, practical expert advice from a therapist who's also parenting. Wow. Thank you for sharing so much OCD knowledge with parents. Thank you for taking the time to write that. I really appreciate that. So if you have something nice to say, maybe I'll be reading your review next time. And I hope you find the sparkle in everything you do. Take care. Talk to you next Tuesday. Bye. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com.